You know, it is a reasonable statement, going back to what we had said before we started, that not just this day, but each day that we live, there are people who leave us at that moment. There are situations that arise, plans that people make, and those plans never come to fruition simply because the course of life as it is. You know, David had said at one point, uh, I believe near the end of his days, he said, I go the way of all the earth. That, you know, unless Christ comes back, you know, we, we are, every one of us will die. That's just, that's just a fact. Um, kind of scares me a little bit. I'm just kind of that way sometimes. Um, thinking and pondering, you know, what life would be without, what life would be like without certain people I know. So that being said, if, if I had nothing more to leave a congregation with, the words of Psalm 48, I think would be most fitting. But this is something that I was thinking about earlier in the week and was trying to kind of gather some stuff. And then that dear brother had to send me that text to say, do this, that, and the other. And I'm thinking, wow. Psalm 48, though, verse 1, just simply begins by saying, Great is the Lord. You know, if you had, if you had no other thought in mind whereby to live your life, that's a pretty good thought. Not only does the Bible say, Great is the Lord, but it says and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Now, obviously, we understand at that time that Jerusalem was the city of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus calls it in uh, the New Testament the city of the great king. We can meet this morning to uh, tackle the political impacts on uh, society around us this morning. But what good would that really do? Uh, we could meet this morning, we could talk about how this political party is incorrect and how our political party is correct. What good would that do us? I mean, you listen to radio stations that you like because the people on the radio station tell you what you want to hear. And they reassure you that you are correct though they do not affirm the fact that you are true. There's a big difference between wanting to be correct and wanting to be true. He's as great as the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. He says, great is the Lord. The very first time that this word great is mentioned in the Bible is Genesis chapter 1. However, the very first time that it is mentioned in the Bible in regards to man is Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6 and the 5th verse, the Bible tells us that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's interesting to say to, to note that it doesn't say that God saw the wickedness of man in the earth. But that he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. 
Well, what do we mean by that then? It, he says, the great is the Lord, and that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. What, what do we mean by that? What does the Bible mean when it says, great is the Lord, and that the wickedness of man was great in the earth? You know, oftentimes we use that term sort of as sarcasm. Something goes wrong, we say, great. Well, what does that mean? It really doesn't mean anything to us. It's just a... Uh, an expression of disgust. But when you look at the Bible and you follow it out and actually just to define the term itself, uh, it's a term of comparison. Uh, it is a term of comparison denoting more magnitude or more extension of one thing compared to another. When we say great is the Lord, we're talking about someone who is chief, Someone who is supreme. Someone who is on a higher level than anyone else. When he talks about the wickedness of man being great in the earth. He's describing a time. Wherein the wickedness of man seems to exist in a form far and above from what it used to. In other words, when you, when you stop and you think for a moment where humanity is, and you think about where humanity used to be just in America, are we the same as we used to be? Are we better than we used to be? Or are we worse off than we used to be? Well, from a, from a practical standpoint, uh, human beings back then were no more sinners than we are now. We're no more sinners than they were back then. There was just a different treatment of sin back then than it is now. You say, well, people were hypocrites back then because they did one thing behind closed doors and they did one thing out in public. No. People recognized there was a time and place for everything, even sin. Nowadays, people want to be praised for their sin. They want to be honored for their sin. And they want sin to be upheld as the standard and rule of practice. And I'm afraid that currently in America we are headed... Well, maybe not just in America, but I think globally we are headed for a, a time where wickedness of man is going to be comparatively greater in the earth than it is right now. Now, of course, that begs the question, good grief, it's terrible, isn't it? How much worse can it be? Y'all have asked that question before. You've been in the middle of a project, everything is going wrong, and you just looked at yourself and good, good grief... How much worse can this day get? That's just the wrong thing to say, isn't it? That's a good way to curse yourself for that day. Well, you just made everything fall even further apart, right? Oh, are you superstitious? No. I just believe in Murphy's Law. That what can go wrong will go wrong. We could get up here and we could talk about the great wickedness of man. Uh, we could go over to the book of Revelation, chapter 17, and we could talk about mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. And we could attempt to see how this great wicked kingdom fits today. We could do that. We could look in Revelation 12. Where John saw this great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. And she uh, sat as a woman ready to bring forth a, a man-child into the world. And there stood in front of her a great red dragon. Waiting to devour her child. 
And yet the Bible says that when she was delivered of her child there in Revelation 12, that he was caught up to heaven, up to God, and to his throne. It is, it is no doubt that the devil is a great adversary of God's people. It is no doubt that the devil is not something to be played with. He's not something to be made fun of. He's not really something to be joked about. He's a serious individual to be dealt with seriously. He is a great force and power of evil. But he's not the greatest power. And he's not the greatest force. Because the Bible reminds us in 1 John chapter 4 verse 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So when you look around you and you watch the news, the news is ready to tell you just how bad it is. That's all they know how to say. Is how terrible the world is. Every ten years. They teach another generation how we're all going to die from some climate catastrophe. Which never happens. The only thing that they do is invent more ways to tax you to fix some climate catastrophe. They're not making the world a better place. They're just making themselves richer off of your fear. There's a good reason that a lot of us older folk don't believe the garbage that comes across the news. Because we've lived through the other catastrophes that were supposed to kill us. The acid rain of the 70s. The coming ice age of the 80s. And the impending doom of global warming in the 90s. We were supposed to run out of oil back in the 70s. Remember that? Some of y'all do. Some of you don't. This is why you have a little circle in some of your cars on the 55 mile an hour speed limit. Because Jimmy Carter and his bunch said the only way to conserve oil and conserve fossil fuels is drive your car back down to 55 and and and. Because if we don't, we're going to run out of oil. Well, are we running out of oil? No. From what I've heard lately, we found out that the earth creates its own oil. It's actually a renewable resource. Imagine that. But see, if the world told you that, you'd go home and sleep very well tonight and enjoy your breakfast in the morning, wouldn't you? No, they make a lot of money. Off of our fear. The Bible reminds us that in the midst of this crooked and wretched world in which we live in, the greatest glimmer of hope that we have is great is the Lord. Far and above everybody and everything else, great is our God. There's none like Him. There'll never be one like Him after Him. Great is our God. When you look at one of the descriptions of our Lord that He says about Himself in Isaiah 55... I think you kind of get somewhat of an understanding as to why the doctrine of grace itself is not received by any more people than it is. In Isaiah 55, notice verse 8. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens 
are higher than the earth, so were my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This God that is a great God is nothing like us. So to tell somebody that he has an everlasting love, they don't understand that because they assume God's like them. In this day and age of this felt needs movement, you just just come to church and, and we'll fill your need. What you think you need, just come to church and let the preacher tell you everything's all right with you. You miss the point. The purpose of being in church is not to feel better about yourself. The purpose of being in church is to praise God. The purpose of being to church is not that we would sit here and be entertained by the band on the stage. The purpose in being in church is not to be entertained by some dramatic program on the stage. The purpose in being here at church is to perform before God. All of us are to perform before the Lord. Not just the special groups. All the groups. And when you tell them he has an everlasting love that doesn't give up on somebody, they don't understand that. How can you stand to be around this person, that person? How can you stand to continue to treat this person kindly and treat that person kindly if you don't understand how great God is? And just how great he has treated, he's treated you, you'll not understand how greatly to treat someone else. David says in Psalm 48, great is the Lord. In Psalm 96, we're reminded again, great is the Lord. Psalm 96 and verse Psalm 96 verse 4, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. You stop and think about what our nation is worshiping right now. And as we addressed earlier, our nation is worshiping itself its climate or its uh, ideas on how to fix the climate. What's, what does Scripture just tell you? Who made the heavens and the earth? God did. God's in charge of the heavens and of this earth. And when He gets ready, He'll be the one to warm this planet. It won't be because I drive a big SUV or I use an aerosol spray can. That is not what's going to bring an end to this earth. What's going to bring an end to this earth is when God gets good and ready to bring an end to this earth. He'll shut it down. And He'll fold it up as a vesture, as an old garment, never be worn again. Because He's the great God. He's the God above all gods. He's the one to be praised in this situation. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. We are to be praising 
the goodness of God from one generation to the next. I think I recognize one of the greatest problems that just this generation has is that they don't respect anybody or anything that came before them. Does that seem to be y'all's kind of perspective of life currently right now? The older generation's just dumb as a box of rocks. No idea what they're talking about. You bunch of old fuddy-duddy, old fogies. Times have changed and you haven't kept up with the times. Uh That's nothing new. That is nothing new. That has gone on every generation since the fall of man. But I declare unto you right now, to this next generation, God is good. God is great. And He's greater than all other gods. I don't care who they are. I don't care if it's the money you pursue or the identity that you identify as. He's greater than all of that. And the greatest joy that a human being will ever have is in service to the Almighty. Even the wicked could have times of joy on this earth in serving the Lord. Even the wicked would have times of joy on this earth if they allow those who serve God to live freely. Did not Pharaoh or was not Pharaoh blessed when Joseph served under him? Why was Pharaoh blessed? Because he's the chosen child of God? No. He was blessed because of Joseph. And when he allowed Joseph to do what the dictates of God's Spirit told him to do, Egypt was blessed. When the next Pharaoh come along and said, Nope, we're going to shut it all down and throw them all in jail, what happened? Problem after problem after problem. You remember the Lord told Abraham, He says, I will bless them that bless thee. Friends, that's not just a Jewish thing. That's a Christian thing. Because Paul says in the book of Galatians, if you're Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and children of the promise. You listening to what I'm saying here? If you'll just bless the church. I didn't say you had to like it. If you'll just bless it and leave it alone, your nation will be blessed. But when you start to oppress it and you start to persecute it, your nation will be cursed. The church, though, will continue to be blessed. Because the one who truly blesses the church is not the government. It's God Almighty. And because God is great, He will greatly bless His people. Regardless of what the world does to it around it. Psalm 31 and the 19th verse This says, Psalm 31 verse 19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Oh, how great is thy goodness. Remember, we defined great earlier. As a comparison. A comparison of something that exceeds something else. 
You know, this is kind of what the Apostle Paul said in, in uh, the book of Ephesians. Unto him, it's what's uh, Ephesians 3.20. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above. I mean, have you ever really broken down that verse in Ephesians 3? It says, unto him who is able. He's able to do. Well, it's unto him who is able to do, not just willing to do, but unto him who is able to do. There's a lot of things in life that you can do. A lot of things in life I try to do. And there's a lot of things in life that I do, but I eventually wither in my strength. So I can do it for a period of time. I can't do it in abundance. But He is able to abundantly do. And then not just that. He's not just able to abundantly do. He is able to exceed His abundant ability. Unto Him who is able to, to do exceeding abundantly above. All that we could listen to this. The text says, ask or think. Most everything that I do, I have to physically do. I should think about what I'm doing. But thinking about doing does not do the job. Right? But all he has to do is think. And it happens. All he has to do is just say the word. And miracles occur. All he had to do was say the word and the entire universe dripped from him. And it cost him no more strength. To create the entire universe. Than it did. To say to the winds and the waves. Peace be still. Oh and by the way. In that text. It said that the disciples encountered a great storm. Which meant in comparison. This was something Far worse than it ever been in. But in the same text, when it said that they encountered a great storm and He spoke, there came a calm and great peace. But the reality is, is that when Jesus Christ speaks peace in your life, it is a greater sense of peace than anyone or anything can ever give to you. How great is thy goodness. The goodness of God is far greater than we possibly can comprehend. Well, this is why people say salvation by grace, that's too easy. It can't be that easy. God can't just love you. You've got to talk Him into this thing. You've got to prove to Him you're worthy. Well, what happens when you talk Him out of it? What happens when you show Him you don't care anymore? Does that mean He doesn't care? Great is thy goodness. In Psalm 86, he says here, notice these words. Psalm 86 and verse 10. For thou art great and doest wondrous things, thou art 
God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Well, what are you afraid of in life? Afraid of the climate killing you? You ought not to be. But the fear that you have of God ought not to be a horrific fear. Puzzles me. Baffles me when I see Christians afraid of God. Like he's carrying a giant fly swatter waiting for them to step out of line so he can just smash them against the wall. It's not what this means. To fear him means to stand in awe and reverential respect because he is so great and because, what does it say here? He has done great works. Thou art great and doest wondrous things. So if he is great, then what he does is also great is what the text is saying. So, for example, you remember there's a case of a wild Gadarene in Luke chapter 8. Cleansed. There was a wild Gadarene that lived among the tombs that Jesus encountered and cleansed him of this devil, this legion that was in him. In Luke chapter 8, the man wanted to go with Jesus wherever he went. And Jesus said to him in Luke chapter 8, in the 39th verse, he says, Return to thine own house and declare unto them how great things God hath done for thee. Friends, there is no doubt that people in this world will mistreat you. There is no doubt that people in this world will use you. There are lessons in the Bible that you cannot learn except from experience. And sometimes you cannot relay those lessons learned to other people Unless they themselves have learned the same lesson. Follow, did I say that right? You know, Ezekiel said, if you go back and you read the book of Ezekiel, there's a passage in there where he says, I sat where they sat. It, it's one thing to criticize somebody from a distance. It's a completely different thing to have an opinion of something if you're in the middle of it. You know, for example, when y'all sat yesterday and watched your team... Real easy for you to sit there and tell the team what they should do. You got a bird's eye view of it. You watching the thing, and even you got a camera, and you watching it in slow motion. Yippee skippy. You're not down there in the middle of it. So there are some lessons in life that you cannot tell or pass on to another person until they themselves have learned that lesson. Here's another one. That there are lessons in the Bible that you cannot learn except from experience. And sometimes you cannot share that lesson learned without embarrassing, offending, Harming the person that you learned the lesson from. There's a lot of people in life who've taught you things. There's a lot of people in life who have reassured biblical truth in your life from a negative standpoint. So, for example, we said the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Baffles me when I hear preachers stand up and say, Well, there's just a little spark of good in everybody. Well, if there was a little spark of good in everybody, why are we decapitating children on the other side of the world? 
Why are we constantly inventing uh, machines? Why are we constantly inventing things whereby we may kill more people if there's a little spark of good in everybody? Sounds like there's a lot of people ain't got no good in them. And the only way that you're truly going to understand the depravity of man is if God just kind of stands back once in a while and says, have at it. Does this sound real? Does this sound true? But here he says to this demonic man, he says, you go home. Don't tell them how bad the world is. Don't tell them how weird people are. Don't tell them how unreasonable people are. You go home and you tell them what great things God has done for you. I mean, how much of human beings' time right now was spent on focusing on how great God is? Do y'all ever just sit around and count your blessings? Or do you sit around and you stockpile all the problems you've ever had in life? Because one sure way to have a bad day is to think about how, how bad your day is. Now that doesn't... Look, I'm not discrediting the fact you're having a bad day. I've had bad days. You've had bad days. We've all had bad days. But haven't we all had a good God? He says, you go home and you tell them what good things, what great things your God has done for you. And he went. And I like what it says there in the last half of Luke 8.39. That he went and he published throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting what he says in that text? He's equating the work of Christ on the same level as the work of God. And he has every right to. Because both God and Christ are good and great. He says, great are thy wonders. You know, God has given us, He's given us this, this book here, this, this great word. And notice what, what Peter has to say about this. If you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, notice this. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You know, when you think about the work of Christ, His death on the cross, His resurrection from the tomb, His ascending back to glory into the presence of God for us, he has not given us exceeding great and precious opportunities. Did you catch it? He's given us some great promises. One of the greatest promises that we have through the Bible is the fact that God cannot lie. And this is what people, I guess, people really don't think about this when it comes to Almighty God. There's a whole list of sins laid out for us in Ephesians and laid out for us in Galatians, the whole works of the flesh. But you find a lot of times the one thing that God deals with the most is those who lie. You know, 
He did kill a bunch of Israelites for fornication back in the Old Testament with, over there in Baal Peor. Swallowed, opened up the ground and swallowed a bunch of people who were defying Moses. But when you get to the New Testament, a lot of that stuff goes away. Not a whole lot of slaying and killing going on in the New Testament. Until you find a couple in the book of Acts lying to Peter. And he says, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You've not lied unto men, but unto God. And both the husband and the wife struck dead. What if God was in that business today? Hmm. Well, I don't like that at all. At all. But see, he's truth, right? He cannot lie. Everything he does is true and righteous altogether. And so when he says that he has sent his son and paid the price, you know what he says is true. Even if you don't care about what he said. What he said is still true. This book contains tons and tons of faithful promises. Good and faithful promises. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, Jeremiah has this to say. Surely you know this one. Thy mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We could spend the rest of this day talking about the unfaithfulness of man. But who wants me to stand up here and talk about you? Wouldn't you rather hear about the faithfulness of God? See, I think this is one of the reasons why people cannot comprehend the truth of salvation by grace. That what God has begun in you, He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because they look at ourselves, they look at people around them, who will stand before a crowd, we stand before God and these witnesses this day to take these vows, and then six months or a year or ten years into it, we're like, you know, I'm really not happy anymore. And I'm just going to go somewhere else. And you think of the ridiculous reasons that people walk out on each other in this life. And really, if anybody had any real reason to walk out on somebody, God has every reason to walk out on me. Oh, how I have failed him so much and so often. And yet the text does not say great is my faithfulness. It says great is his faithfulness. And Jeremiah said, when I recall this, when I bring this to mind, therefore have I hope. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. They are new every morning. Every morning you wake up, the mercies of God are new. Not like when you wake up and you're still mad at your spouse or your children or your parents for something dumb they did. I mean, you think about how primitive Baptists have carried grudges sometimes for years and years and years. We really don't sometimes comprehend the goodness of God, the greatness of God, 
and what that affects. In the book of Jonah, this was Jonah's cry unto the Lord. Didn't want to go to Nineveh. Knew that just as soon as he got down there, God was going to do something that he didn't like. We just covered this a few weeks ago, didn't we? What does he say in Jonah chapter 4? In verse 2, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Uh, <clears throat> Jonah's a great story. Do y'all know that? Well, because the Bible tells us that God prepared a great wind. And then when Jonah got thrown overboard, God prepared a great fish. See, people, how how can a whale swallow a man? That's not possible. The Bible doesn't say God prepared a whale. It said God prepared a great whale. That in this situation, by comparison, there's never been another one like it. So he could have very, at that moment, created a whale to swallow a man. The whale swallows the man, does his job, and goes off and dies. That simple. You say, that's just ridiculous. You read the rest of the Bible. Have you read any more of the Bible? It ain't no more ridiculous than the rest of the book. Birds coming and feeding a man. You ever heard of such? Water coming out of a rock. Where in the world have you seen that? Bread falling out of the sky. Friends, if if you can't accept the story I've just given to you, you know, if you can't accept the little bit that I've just told you, the very beginning of the Bible, you can't even accept in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know, if you can't get past that, the rest of the book, don't, don't get any easier. So there was this great fish in this great storm created by this great God whom Jonah says thou art full of or thou art of great kindness slow to anger. Folk nowadays not slow to anger anymore are they? Folk nowadays cuss you out in a heartbeat. You've got to be careful how you react to people in this world nowadays. Because people nowadays think that being a man is being immediately angry and storing everything around me. You don't realize that lots of times the biggest man is the one who's slowest to anger. Just because I don't punch your lights out When you say something foolish and ridiculous, that doesn't mean I'm being a weenie. It might mean I just don't want to go to jail today. Did you notice how it says that thou art slow to anger and of great kindness? Have you ever noticed when when Peter talks about the uh, characteristics or attributes of, of a wife in 1 Peter 3? That he says that there that she is to uh, demonstrate uh, not the plaiting of the hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. Now, now, some religious groups have gone so far as to say, see, you women never supposed to do your hair. Just put it up on a bun on top of your head. Never supposed to wear makeup. And you're never supposed to wear cl- clothes. Catch it. Your hair and your earrings, and your bracelets, and your rings, and your clothes are not to be the greatest thing about you. Frankly, I'm glad you're all wearing clothes. Don't particularly care what y'all do with your hair. I'm not going to say anything about the makeup. Right? Well, because it's not my, it's not my right anyways to tell you women what to do You talk that out between you and your husbands. See, women are supposed to be submissive to their husbands, not to other men. 
Catch it? But what he does say is what's most important about you in 1 Peter 3, he says, let it be the hidden man of the heart. Which in the sight, he says, let it be the hidden man of the heart, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. It's not just a price, it's a... Ladies, let me clue you in on something here. Can I, I'm gonna, I'm, let me step out of the pulpit. I'm just going to clue you in on something here. Your husband likes the way you look. That's why he's married to you. Mm-hmm. He might even like the way you cook. But I guarantee you this one thing. That one thing a man likes more than anything else is a woman who is kind. See, I have enough people at work who don't like me. I have enough people in the, in, in the world around me who don't like me. I have enough things that happen in the world around me that make my life hard don't need you making my life hard. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you'll get more accomplished in your house with kindness than with anything else in this world. Because in the sight of God, a meek and quiet spirit, not standing down at the street corner and... None of that mess. In the sight of God, a meek and quiet spirit. Now that doesn't mean you sit there and never say anything. Because children can play quiet and still make noise. But that in the sight of God is of great price. Because it's just like Him at times. He is of great kindness. Slow to anger. The Lord is great. In Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle reminds us here, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. Look at that, Ephesians 2, 4. It, it doesn't just say that God loved us, it's what? Great love. So if, if we follow the same line of comparison, the same line of definition that we started at the beginning of the sermon, that this love and the characteristics of God is that His ways are above our ways and His thoughts are above our thoughts, then His love is probably far greater than our love. Now, Jesus did say, you can kind of model this, that greater love hath no man than that a man lay down his life for his friends. So we look at those who are first responders. We look at those who are in our military. We look at those who run into harm's way while the rest of the scared sheep run the other direction. And we think of what great courage that (laughs) toxic masculinity took. You know, if it wasn't for toxic masculinity, a lot of us wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for the masculine man, a lot of people wouldn't be here. So you can look at somebody who runs headlong into something while the rest of us run the other direction and say, yes, that person has great love. Either for people, but probably not just for people. I don't think think firefighters run into a house because of the people that are in there. I don't, I don't think soldiers run to battle because of the people. I think they run there because of the idea that they honor. Our soldiers go to war because they respect the idea of freedom. Firefighters go into a, a burning house because they respect the idea of life. 
Doctors do what they can to save a person on the table who, who for all intents and purposes, may be on their way out, but they respect the idea of life. God has done what He did. Not just for you, but He's done it from the aspect of He respects the covenant that He, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, made before the foundation of the world. He promised to do a thing. He sent His Son into this world to accomplish that. He sends the Holy Ghost into your heart somewhere between conception and death, borns you again, Because He respects and honors the covenant He made. So His love for us is not just the fact He likes chocolate ice cream. It's a greater love than what a lot of us have ever seen or experienced on this planet. God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And that's a good thing. Because there's two more greats in the book of Revelation. There's the great day of His wrath. Men are some wrathful people, aren't they? We're seeing that right now. Ever so often, some terrorist groups got to raise their head and show folk how tolerant they are of other people. No, they they raise their ugly head and, and show you just exactly why they're a terrorist group. But the wrath that man brings on this planet against his fellow man be nothing compared to the great day of the wrath of God when He comes back. And He will destroy from the face of this earth the wicked, the unbelievers, the defiled, those who are not in His family. That is a fact. But because of His great love for His people, We will be delivered from that. And when or if we ever see in Revelation the great white throne, we will see a judge that is just and holy and good. I know that in today's society the the tendency is to recognize that there are wicked men among us, so all men must be wicked. From the standpoint that there are husbands who are mean husbands, right? There are husbands who are mean Are y'all mean husbands? There are people who are mean people, right? Well, that, so that means all husbands are mean. There are preachers who are heretics and mean preachers and fleece the flock, so all preachers are heretics. There are policemen who are bad policemen, so all policemen are bad policemen? No. But there are judges who are crooked judges. Doesn't mean all judges are crooked. Because there's one judge who sits not only on a throne, but he sits on a white throne. A throne of purity. That's what the term white is in the Bible. It's a pure throne. And it's not just a pure throne, it is a great throne. Because the King of Kings sits there. And the Lord of Lords sits there. And He will judge righteously in that last and final day. And if Christ has died for my sin, and Christ has died for your sin, then we will have the greatest day we've ever seen in our life. When we live in eternity, living in the face of God in peace. That will be a great day. Be better than any day you've ever seen in your life.
And probably at that point, we will fully comprehend great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Thank you for your good and patient attention.